in the church bibles and it's genesis chapter 6 beginning at the 11th verse and continues into chapter 7 between verses 1 and 5. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. I like that illustration of the, uh, the string. Um, it goes so far, but then in order to get further, you need a new start. And... Maybe you would like a new start. Life does get complicated sometimes, doesn't it? Life does get messy. And there are times when we think, could we start again, please? And the good news is that God is the God of new starts and second chances. We'll come back to that thought later on. But what do you know about Noah? What do you know about Noah? He's a builder. Very good. He had an ark, didn't he? And that's what everybody knows about Noah. Noah had an ark, Noah's ark. Why is it called an ark and not a boat? Because it was a boat. Very big boat, but it was a boat. Anyway, we call it Noah's ark. And um, everybody knows about Noah's ark because even people who don't know that it comes out of the Bible have heard of 
Noah's Ark. Um, according to the Bible, there was a flood covering the whole known world. And Noah felt God telling him to build this huge boat in which he would be able to rescue his family and enough animals for life to continue after the flood. So everybody knows about Noah's Ark. At least there are children's stories, storybooks about Noah. There are toys. You can get Noah's Arks from Early Learning Center. And uh, you can learn about all the animals trot in two by two. Although actually they didn't, you know. Nowhere does it say actually in the Bible that they queued up in little pairs to get into the ark. It does say that they took two of all the um, unclean animals. They took seven of the clean animals uh, because they had to eat some of them, didn't they, to survive. Not a lot of people know that. Um, but it's there. If you look in the, in the story, the clean animals, there were seven <coughs> of each, um, but the unclean animals that they weren't going to eat, uh, two of each. Okay, so we know, we know that. We, we, um, there are jokes as well, of course, about, about Noah's Ark. There's the little girl who asked her grandmother, Granny, were you in the Ark? And Granny snaps, no, of course I wasn't. So the little girl says, well, how come you weren't drowned then? So all this children's stuff around Noah's Ark makes it quite hard for us to take the story of Noah seriously. And yet when you think about it, the destruction of the entire known world by a flood is quite serious. It is an important story. It's not just a pretty tale about animals. So we're going to try to set aside the uh, cartoon version of Noah and try to get to the serious message that the story contains. And I think the way in is actually a verse that's actually just before the, the reading that we had. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the world was full of what the Bible calls sin, evil, wrongdoing, rebellion against God. And it says it grieved God and his heart was filled with pain. That's a very remarkable thing to say about God. This is the God who is powerful and mighty, who has created the whole universe, who reigns in majesty, who is Lord of all things, but nevertheless he feels grief and pain. His heart was filled with pain when the people that he's made rebel against him and in the process ruin their own lives and the lives of others and the world that they live in. Almost as if he regrets having made human beings. It's very interesting how the Bible describes God with these very personal feelings. I suppose we must say it was all part of his plan. He didn't kind of regret it in the sense of, oh, I wish I hadn't. But there is that feeling that people have gone wrong. And it causes him grief and pain. God is not, therefore, a remote, cold, uncaring God. He's a loving and a suffering God. 
Now, when I talk to people about God, sometimes it's actually when I go and talk to people about having their child baptised, maybe people who don't come to church yet. We talk about, well, what do you think about God? And there's no difficulty getting people to acknowledge that there is a God, maybe some sort of creator, because the world's here and it must have got here somehow, so I guess there must be some sort of God. Most people, actually, uh, will accept that quite easily. But what's harder for people to accept is the idea that God is close. We can accept that there is a God uh, vaguely, somewhere up there, but that God doesn't really impinge on my life, doesn't actually make any difference to how I live day by day. The idea that God is close and is interested and is cares about my life, not many people have got that. And yet this is what the Bible is saying here. The story of Noah, like the story of Jesus, shows that God cares passionately about us and cares passionately about how we behave because he he hates to see us harming ourselves. So God is concerned, God is close, he does care. Now we know that God came to earth much later than the story of Noah. Hundreds of years later, God came to earth in the person of Jesus and he suffered and died for us on the cross. So we know that God is a suffering God. God actually came in the person of Jesus to be a human being, to live for us, to die for us. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to suffer sadness and loss. He knows, knows what it's like to die even. So we know because of Jesus that God suffers with us and cares passionately for us. But even before Jesus, even in the days of the Old Testament, even right back in the days of Noah, they began to see that God cares for us and that things can grieve him and things can bring pain to his heart. That's one of the most important insights of our faith that God's not remote and cold and uncaring, he is loving and therefore suffering, a suffering God. Now we can understand, actually, I think, the pain, some of the pain that God felt when he looked at the world and saw what a state it was in, because the world since the flood hasn't been much better than the world was before it. And we too feel grief and pain when we see people suffering from the drought in East Africa, or we see people's lives being torn apart in Libya, or we hear of the horrors of child abuse. And if we sometimes look at the world and despair of the human race, how much more must God do that? No wonder when he saw how great man's wickedness had become, it causes him grief and his heart is filled with pain. Now sometimes we might say, when we see how much pain and evil and nastiness there is in the world, we might say, Lord God, why don't you just, why don't you just wipe it out? You know, you're God, why don't you just get rid of it? All this war and violence and hatred and, and bitterness. Why, why don't you just send another flood? 
and uh, get rid of all sin and evil once for all. But don't forget that if we're asking God to wipe out all sin, then he would have to wipe out me and you as well. Because we may not be as bad as the terrorist or the child abuser, but which of us could really stand before a holy God and say, I'm okay? Because none of us is. If God set about now to destroy all the sin in the world, which of us would survive? And in fact, the main point of the flood story, as it's come down to us now, is not so much that God once did wipe out much of the earth, but rather that he will never do so again. The story ends in chapter 9 with the rainbow as a sign that there will never be a flood again on such an enormous scale. It's a sign of a promise. Now, of course, the scientists can tell us what forms a rainbow. But God says, when you see that rainbow, take it as a sign, take it as a promise of my love for all the people I have made. Take it as a sign of my compassion and my comparing, uh, my, my caring for each one that I've made. So the flood story tells us two important things. Firstly, it tells us about the seriousness of sin. We can't say it doesn't matter. It really does cause God pain. There's a story of a new vicar arriving in a parish, and after a few of his sermons, a lady goes up to him and says, Vicar, we never knew what sin was until you came. <laughs> well, if that was true, the vicar was doing a good job, because we need to know what sin is, if we're ever to know what forgiveness is. But the second thing that we learn from the story is that God loves his people and he longs to give a new start. A new start to those who will respond to him. Noah himself wasn't sinless, he wasn't perfect. But he was a godly man. It says he walked with God. And that's like us, you see, we're not sinless, we're not perfect, none of us is. But probably the fact that we're here today means that we want to walk with God. Something in us uh, has brought us here today and something in us means we want to walk with God. We have that desire within us. Just as Noah and his family were saved from the flood by the ark, so we can be saved from the consequences of sin by the death of Jesus on the cross. We especially remember that in the communion service when we have those tokens of bread and wine, the body and blood of Jesus given for us, for our forgiveness, because he loves us, because he cares for us. In the baptism service, the candidates and the parents and the godparents all said, I repent of my sins, I renounce evil, and I turn to Christ. And all of us, when we were asked, do you believe in God the Son who took our nature, died for us, and rose again? We all said, I think we all said, I believe and trust in him. So the story of Noah tells us that God does care and is involved and if we grieve him it causes him pain. But it also tells us that God wants to give us new beginnings. With God we can start again. Like that string. To go further we need a new start. 
and we can all go further with God because he will give us a new start. The story of Jesus gives us the same message. God loves us compassionately. Passionately. What we do and how we ignore him or respond to him does matter. But God always wants to give us new beginnings to give us forgiveness and a fresh start. So next time you see a rainbow, and the chances are quite high that you'll see one um, today, remember that it's a promise and a sign that God doesn't want to destroy the earth again, but he wants all of us to come back to him so we can have a new start. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for these uh, truths that you show us through the Bible, that you care deeply for us. You care about how we live. You hate to see us spoiling our lives. You long to give us a fresh start. And we pray that not only the people who've been baptised today, but all of us might have that new start with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.